You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Welcome to Tech Fan number 319. I am Tim Robertson. I am David Cohen. You're happy with your Mac and Apple right now, aren't you? Not really. <laughs> so let's talk about that a little bit. Let's find out what's going on with you and why you're not happy. Okay, so I'm, I came into the office this afternoon. My, um, my wife and my daughter are away at the moment, so it's just me and Alexander. Um, and you, you, were, you, want, you said you were having difficulty recording on Friday. You weren't feeling too good. So I said, no problem. I, I'm free all weekend. Let's do it on Sunday. Knowing that I could come in here into the office where I know I have good bandwidth. And I've set Alexander up on the 60-inch um, projection TV next door with Wonder Woman to watch while uh, while I record. So he's happy. I thought I was happy. And I go to boost up my Mac Pro, which is a 2009 Mac Pro. There are no hacks or anything on this. This is fully supported for High Sierra. Yep. And I upgraded it to High Sierra last week. And it was all working fine. I was working with it all day on Friday, no problem. And I go to boost it up. And it seems to be taking a long time to boot. And in the meantime, you're pinging me messages saying, oh, I'm ready online, ready to record. Obviously wondering where I am. And I'm just typing out a message to you saying, wow, um, Hi Sierra, APFS boot time seems to be really slow. Because I've noticed this on my on another machine as well. Um, you know, so I said, I'm booting, be with you in a minute. And then it came up into the Hi Sierra installer with an error message saying, Hi Sierra cannot be installed on this Mac. Which is already installed on that Mac. It's already installed, and I know it definitely is. I'm not just dreaming <clears> this because I've gone into disk utility in the installer, and I'm looking at my main SSD on the uh, Mac Pro, and it says Mac Pro SSD APS volume. So I know it's, it's it's installed because it's been upgraded to APFS, but upgraded to the point that it now won't boot, which is fantastic. That's weird. It's, well, I think it's something to do with encryption. You remember I mentioned last week that I had a, a weird problem with my um, my 17-inch MacBook Pro where it did the same thing. It, it, it wouldn't boot after I'd installed it. And then I had to log on to the drive with encryption. I was having password problems with that one. Right. So I had to log on to the drive using disk utility with encryption and then reinstall High Sierra again to get um, to get that to boot up and eventually boot it up fine. Well, the problem is I can't even do that on my Mac Pro because it's actually saying that the OS X installer isn't here, even though it's actually running from the recovery partition. So basically, at the moment, my Mac Pro is completely balked, which I'm not pleased about, obviously. Have you tried resetting the pram on it? Uh, I will have to start trying to do some trouble. I literally just discovered this problem, so I'm going to have to start doing some troubleshooting on it. Yeah, But, you know, I mean, it's going to be in the encryption again. It's the same thing. It's asking me for my password, uh, and I'm putting the password in, and then it's trying to boot, and then it's not, not booting properly. So, basically, the way APF hands, handles encryption is not right. Now, you know what? I've rebooted, and I've just put my password in, and now the progress bar seems to be moving much faster than it was before. So, I wonder if it's now going to boot into High Sierra. Look, the point is, this is not, you know... Doing a, uh, a file system change is a big deal. Yep. Yeah. Especially and if you're dealing with encryption. Exactly. But it, it, it appears that, um, uh, certainly in my experience on encrypted drives, this is not working smoothly. I suspect that Apple's testing for this has not been strong enough. I don't think they've tried older machines. I think Apple being Apple, they've tried all the latest stuff. And maybe a machine's a couple of years old, and it's all worked fine, and they've gone, you know, job done. But they haven't considered anything else, like a, an old Mac Pro running an SSD with a whole load of other drives in there with encryption turning on. I'm still confused about APFS and encryption. Apparently, APFS has encryption built in. What does that mean for volumes that are encrypted with FileVault 2, which is kind of computer-overlaid encryption? Do they take it away? Do they rely on the APFS encryption, or does it encrypt twice? I suspect the latter, and I don't think it's working properly on some of these machines. Could be you right. You know what? It's, it's bogus. It's absolutely bogus. This is a Mac Pro for crying out loud. You know, somebody... I, all right, it's just my desktop machine here in the office. I'm in the... Because I'm a tech fan, I have loads of computers I can use. I can live with this. But can you imagine if you were your pro user, you come in on a Monday morning, you're going to sit down and you're going to do some final cut. Yeah, you've got a deadline. 
and you try and boot up your Mac and it doesn't boot and you get this. Well, but that's a professional setting. I would say it'd be worse for guy gets home from work, worked eight, 10 hours, tired, has dinner, plays with the kids, watches something, need to get caught up on a little things on my email, check a few things, um, important stuff, but you know, not time critical boots up his Mac and this happens. Can't even check his email. You know, maybe he's got a, something he's bidding on, on eBay. I think that's for that person. That's even worse because at least the guy at work presumably has an IT department. Somebody's going to come work on it and you're getting paid anyways. But this guy, he doesn't have time to mess with this. Now he's got to go to bed in an hour to, to go to work tomorrow. Now he's got this. It's going to take him three days to get back up and running because he doesn't have hours and hours to mess with it. And yeah, in some but, respects, you know, I think look, that's even worse. If you're all, if you're a one man pro shop and you've got a deadline, you miss that deadline. Oh, sure. Stuff like Absolutely. This, you're all screwed. Yep. Yeah. But a good so solution you, for, you know, the, the home user is to have a secondary Mac, to be honest, something that's not going to be up. You, it, it, it's a great machine, but it just kind of sits there and it's running a very stable version of Mac OS, you know, maybe, uh, <clears throat> the last version. <laughs> and it's not too expensive to actually do that, David, you can have a backup machine. I mean, you've got a lot of them, but you can pick up a, a pretty decent backup machine for not a lot of money. I mean, well, you, you could do, and, and, you know, there are other options as well. You know, a lot of the online stuff you can do great with a Chromebook or an iPad or, yep. Something like that as well. You but know it, what? The the point is, is that testing and getting this stuff right is really important. And I don't think Apple's done a great job with this. I agree. You know what? They, they've gone to the whole public beta thing. Public betas are a waste of time. You know why? Because the only people who run mostly run public betas are people who are excited for the latest features. Yep. Yeah. A lot of those people will understand that it's a beta and things might won't work. And, but I think when things don't work, they don't report those things to Apple. They don't give them an exhaustive, well, this is what I did, and this is my system, or anything like that. They shrug their shoulders and go, well, it's a beta, and they move on. Yeah, I think it's worse than the, that. Yeah, the, but that, that problem means the quality of information that Apple gets from a public beta is, frankly, worse than useless. Yeah, well, I think it's the people that run the beta of an OS, whether it's iOS or Mac OS, or even Windows generally are pretty hardcore computer users. They know what they're doing. So when they run into a problem, they kind of know how to fix it. And you're well, right. Yeah, they the, don't the report it to they Apple. Don't report it. If they yeah. just fix it, don't report it. Then yep. there's no use. Exactly. Yep. So anyways, right. um, doesn't, did I tell you how my upgrade went? No, it didn't. I'm not upgrading anytime <laughs> soon. I don't blame you. I'm, I'm quite happy with regular Sierra. Uh, I think it was at 10, 12, 6 is what I'm running. And I don't plan on changing it anytime soon. I, I just don't. I've heard too many horror stories. Now, I'm not running any kind of encryption on my machine. But this iMac is, uh, what is it, a 12 model, 2012. Yeah. And it has, uh, you know, the two drives inside. And that's not supported with the new file system yet. So that's one reason I'm not upgrading. But beyond that, I I. I just don't want to be a beta tester. I don't care if it's a released product or not. It's, it's brand new. It just came out. I just don't feel like being a beta tester for it. I don't have time oh. to mess around and get things working when it's not working because I am that guy that's working 10, 12 hours a day. And, you know, it takes me an hour to get home. I, I don't have time to mess with it. I just don't. And so everything I need to do works perfectly well, perfectly the, the well point, on yeah. Sierra. The point, the point is, Tim, is that, I understand what you're saying about being a beta tester, but I take the view that if the product is released and they've taken the beta tag off it, they are confident that in 99% of cases, it's just going to work. Now, I've upgraded three machines, and two of those three machines have failed with, with different problems. Right, The only one that upgraded smoothly is my 2006, uh, 2016 MacBook. A newer yeah, one. Which obviously that. is one of the latest machines and yeah. it worked perfectly fine. Yep. Yeah. No, I wasn't now, taking Apple's side here. This is this was not me saying. No, I un I understand no, no. that. I, I, I'm, I'm not taking you. them either. I'm saying if you release it's no good releasing a car 
that swerves off the road and crashes. Yeah. And you say, well, well, when it would baser is did that, and we just didn't get around to fixing it. Right. This is the same sort of stuff. Yeah. If you take the beta label off, yeah, it needs to work. Now, there's a link here in in our show notes to an article on on um, Ars Technica where people running pro apps are having problems. Yep. Adobe Adobe Illustrator. Yeah. If you're running with APS, apparently it doesn't work properly, and you can't re- you can't install it if you haven't installed it already. And Illustrator is one of those pro apps that there really isn't um, another app you can use. It's pretty much it when it comes to um, line drawing, if you will, uh, packaging, graphics, all that kind of thing. Illustrator is it. They don't have a competitor that that offers that level of pro features. Well, not only that, if you're running Illustrator, particularly if you're running the current version of Illustrator with a CC, so that means that you're running the subscription model. Yep. Yeah. You are used to getting updates all the yep. time. Yeah. You are used to using Ill- Illustrator all the time. You're probably not doing that just for a laugh. You probably are using it in some sort of business workflow, whether you be a home user, whether you be a website manager, whether you be whatever you might be. It doesn't matter. Most people, there is, there are anybody who's using Illustrator and can go, well, I can afford for it not to work for a couple of weeks while they fix a bug. Yeah. is going to be few and far between. Yep. Illustrator is a program you buy because you have a job to do. And all of a sudden it doesn't work. And that bothers me because I actually know the person that's the contact between Adobe and Apple to make sure when stuff like this is coming out, a new OS, that the Adobe products are ready to go. It's his job to make sure that all this stuff is working before Apple releases it. Of course, that's on Adobe. They have to get things working. But I know the person who's in charge of that. But... And you're absolutely right. And my initial reaction when I first posted these show notes before I had my problems were this is completely on Adobe. For God's sake, the thing's been out since March in beta. Mm -hmm. Developer betas first came out in March. They should have got this fixed by now. But now I'm seeing the problems I'm having and I'm wondering what was Apple? Bearing in mind as well that Apple pulled Fusion support for APFS from the betas to the live version at the last minute. I'm just wondering if APS just isn't done yet. You gotta it, was wonder. Too, it was too much for them to pull the entire feature. It's a headline feature from High Sierra. So they've pushed it out, and it's not right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I wonder if, because it's only APFS drives that have a problem with Illustrator. So I'm wondering if the problem is on Apple and not Adobe. Could be. Absolutely. Yeah? There are Unity games as well, which Unity is the underlying thing for lots and lots of Mac games and iOS games. And apparently there's a whole load of games that run Unity that don't work properly on APFS drives. You know, so we're starting to see a pattern here. Yeah. It could just be speculation. It could be nothing out. But it turns out as well that creating an APFS container and then putting a password hint had a bug in it, which meant that the password hint was displayed in plain text. <laughs> the, actually, not the password hint, the password. Yeah. Explaining Paytex. So there's a, we're waiting for an update on that as well. You know, I'm telling you, it, this is, I'm, I'm so tired of this with Apple. Yeah, they either don't put the engineering resources in to do something properly. You know, it's a small team. They like small teams. Yeah, and then they release something it's just not done. And we've got to go through six months of patching before we get it right. And it's now both. we're uh, six six months away from the next big version of the Mac OS. Uh, yeah, I mean, do we need a new version every year? No, we don't. And, the, and you know, I've been saying that for a while. I don't think we need a new version of Mac. I do think they need a version of Mac, uh, iOS every year because that's the cash cow. But yeah. the Mac OS is a very mature platform. It really is. Uh, the, the version that we're using right now was first released in 2000 as a beta. Okay, that's 17 years of updates and fixes and doesn't seem like it's going really well. So here's the question for you, David. 17 years we've been using Mac OS X, Mac OS 10, right? Mm-hmm. Is it time for Apple to start looking at a replacement for the Mac OS? Mac OS, I don't know what it would be called, but you know we went from the classic Mac OS now to OS 10. You know, the first one lasted about, you know, yeah. 15 years-ish. Well, yeah. But this one's 17 is, years. Given, given Apple today and the way it splits its resources, would you use a brand new OS that they came out? Came I'm out not with? using the one that they just released. Are you kidding me? <laughs> no. 
So but, what, but that's the, immaterial. Do you think that Apple needs to start looking at replacing Mac OS X? I don't think there's anything wrong with OS X. This is the this is the issue, and and you know, great as Mac sales are, they are not the primary revenue driver for the company. Right. They are focusing resources in the right area because, as you say, iOS <clears> is the big cash cow. Um, and it's and it is right they continue to develop that, particularly as um, the the mobile phone market generally the mobile devices market is is lagging behind. Uh, you know, it's it's fast moving and they're lagging behind. By that I mean, yes. Um, you know, they are they are not at the bleeding edge of the innovation. They are on the hardware side, but not on this and software that goes with hardware, but not on the pure software side. And I've got to be honest, even iOS now, when iOS 11 came out. Is it iOS 11 we're on now? Yeah. yeah. When iOS 11 came out, there was all these great new features, all the multitasking stuff on the iPad. To use any of them, I had to go online and Google videos for them because I couldn't figure out how to use them. They, they, so many of the gestures and the features and everything on like that are completely unintuitive. Yeah. And and it concerns me that there's probably... Microsoft used to go through this. You remember when they launched the ribbon in Office and it was because... Half of the feature requests they got for Office were for things that were already in the product, but nobody could find it. So they changed they changed the ribbon format to try and surface some of those features more. It's getting like that with iOS now. You start to kind of say, "Oh, I wish it would do that," and then you find out it does. You just don't you know the obscure gesture that makes it work. Well, and, I, it, and it, you know it's a, it's a problem, and yet you've got this mix of you've got a mix of uh, input methods on the i on some of the iPhones. You've got force uh, force touch. 3D touch, whatever they call it, and so things are in there, and then you think, well, I'm always thinking when I go between the iPad and the iPhone is, right, well, I know how to force touch something on the iPhone, so how do I do that same function on an iPad that doesn't support force touch? No way to find out. Sometimes the function is there you've done a different way, sometimes it just isn't there at all. You know, so even that is a, even that is a problem. So we do want to uh, thank our sponsor, and it's going to tie right into what we've been talking about, specifically what I talked about. Our sponsor, of course, is MacSales.com, Otherworld Computing. And, David, they've been selling used Macs for a long time. I have one. I purchased one from them, and I could not be happier. Now, I've actually got two Macs. You saw my 17-inch MacBook Pro that I brought to MacStock. Uh, it inspired me to buy my own one because it, I remember how much I loved that machine. It's a great machine, and it is sitting... Uh, you know, I, I think I've opened it one time since MacStock. Um, I don't keep it charged up all the time. I let the battery run low. I turn it off. I don't. I don't. It's not in sleep mode. It's it's off. But I let the battery run down where I think it's just about drained, and then I'll let it charge up after a couple weeks. Um, that's much healthier for a laptop and its laptop battery than just leaving it plugged in all the time if you're not actually using it. Especially if you don't actually turn it off, you just put it to sleep. Yeah, and so. If something happened to my Mac right now, and this this happened just a few months ago, if you remember, yep. where my 15-inch MacBook Pro, which, by the way, I was going to bring with me to Mac so I can give to you because you wanted it, and I forgot all about it. I just remember that. It doesn't matter. We'll figure it out yeah. some other time. Yeah. It needs a battery. It's got a swollen battery in it. Yeah, that's, that's the one I've got now actually had a swollen battery, and I changed it out. Yeah. It's easy, easy. Well, see, I, I keep thinking about doing that. But I've got the 17-inch MacBook Pro with a new battery in it, so I don't... Plus, i got to put a hard drive in it, but still, it's a good machine. Yeah. Um, I have a backup machine. So when David and I were recording some of the tech fans, when my 17-inch died, and I was forced to use my 17... Or my 15-inch died, and I was forced to use my backup machine, I was all set to go. It, I had to install a couple things and done, ready to go. I could get yeah. my email, I could podcast... Um, I could FTP, I could browse the internet, I could watch Netflix if I wanted. I was fine. It wasn't like, oh my God, end of the world. But not everybody has a couple computers they can just pull the next one out until they replace the main one. So yeah. if you're in that situation, you got a great Mac, you don't have a need right now for a second Mac, especially with the prices of a brand new one, but you do want something as a backup. How about an inexpensive MacBook Air? It doesn't take hardly any room. About the same room as a, an iPad, right? Well, the bigger yep. iPads. You can keep it on a shelf, keep it charged up. When you, so when you do need it, it's ready to go. And you can pick up, for instance, David, they've got a 13-inch Core i7 
1.8 with Thunderbolt, 4 gigs of RAM, 120 gig SSD, perfect for everyday computer use. 579 bucks. I mean, yep. that's a good price. Well, this is a thing, you know, I, I talked before about Chromebooks and stuff like that. The price of Chromebooks have been edging up, particularly for the really good ones. Yep. Uh, and they're around about $500. So you could get a Chromebook or you could get a full MacBook Air. And remember, the MacBook Air is and remains one of the most innovative, innovative computers ever ever designed, in my view. Yep. You know, it started the whole Ultrabook revolution. Um, it's still fabulously small light machine nowadays and yeah it doesn't have the retina display but having compute i'll tell you having computers with retina and without um the retina displays are fantastic but that doesn't mean that the old displays are garbage by any stretch of the imagination well you Um, know what a non-retina display is a whole lot better than you have no mac to use right now (laughs) exactly but if you need you're like yeah tim that sounds great except you know i use i my machine's an older one and I really do need a DVD drive. Well, how about a 13-inch MacBook Pro? Ice 5, 2.5 gigahertz, 500 gig hard drives. It's got a super drive in it. It's Of course, it's got Wi-Fi. 749 bucks. Mm-hmm. That's not bad either. Yeah. <laughs> it, it isn't. Uh, and there is definitely something to be said. The new Macs, you know, great as they are, but they are so expensive. They are. Uh, particularly if you do want something with the bigger footprint if you want a 15 or a 17 inch yeah well, we can't buy a 17 inch now but a new 15 inch macbook pro uh, touch bar is it, it's colossally expensive and if you want a 15 inch machine uh, to my mind it's a no-brainer you have to go with something older absolutely uh, and 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 if you're buying secondhand you'll find even any of the older rest of the machines carry a hefty premium we do want to also acknowledge we are part of the MyMac Podcasting Network. Some of the recent shows in the network is the Essential Apple Podcast number 58, Apple's Aussie Reuse and Recycle Champ. Um, Club Nintendo 171, he put a picture for this, David, that really ticks me off. It's the Super Nintendo Classic Edition thing, the little SNES Mini. Yeah. I want one. Nobody around here is, they've, I've had stores around here that's had them. But nobody has them in stock. As soon as they get them, they're gone. You have to, you have to do what I did with my original NES Classic. You have to sign up for one of these websites where you they drop your message as soon as stock gets in, and then you have to be prepared to try and act straight away. Is the only way. Yeah, and I'm not going to do that. I'll get it the same way I got my uh, NES Mini, which is I walked into the store, I went back to the video games, and there was one sitting right there. Yeah, I just got lucky. My Mac Podcast 375, ten from the top. Um, I love the graphic. It's Guy Searle in front of a giant bonfire. <laughs> That's actually kind of scary. Feels like my um my Mac my uh, Mac Pro at the moment a giant bonfire or maybe a dumpster fire. Uh, last one up on the uh, network right now is Let's Talk Apple number forty nine. Almost fifty episodes in now. Um, joining Bart this month is Adam Christensen from the MacCast, Patrick Bija from the French Spin. Simon Parnell from the Apple Essential Podcast. And cool. there, the, it got cut off. I got to see who else. Uh, and the tech doctor, Dr. Robert Carter. You met him. Yes. Yeah, at Max Talk. Yeah. So, obviously, if you guys are listening to this show, you're probably going to like most of those shows. Maybe. Certainly. You never know. You might yeah, hate them. It doesn't cost you anything to listen, so give them a try. Give them a try. Absolutely. Free content is free content. Uh, You know, David, this is the 25th anniversary of a product out there right now. Yeah, product near and dear to my own heart, actually, because I was was really into the ThinkPads. When uh, back when I was a Windows guy, I still really like them, and it's a yeah, it's a 25th anniversary of the first IBM ThinkPad, which for many many years was the quintessential business windows laptop it absolutely was you know um, they used to be everywhere i i would see think pads way more often than i ever saw macs out there i mean every if you were a, a portable computer user you had a ThinkPad. they were fantastic yeah. little machines uh, particularly they, you know originally they were made by ibm which meant they were very well built very tough 
Um, also, as well, for an IBM product, they had a, quite an innovative design that they you want they kind of nailed down right at the start and then really stuck to. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, kind of a, a black, tough kind of um, industrial style design, and they also used red highlights um, on the on the keyboards. Um, and yeah, you know, there's the old joke, isn't it? Nobody ever got five buying IBM. So they were they were big in businesses, mm-hmm. um, and they were certainly, you know, they weren't we, cheap as, though. They weren't cheap, but but you know what? Back then, no laptop was cheap. No, that's true. But, but Toshiba, a Compaq, or even a Dell back then, they were all expensive. So if you're going to spend the money, you might as well have a ThinkPad because it really was substantially better built than than a lot of the others at the time. Now, your first one was at a Lenovo because they eventually sold all their computer business, the hardware computer business, to Lenovo. No, my original one was an IBM. Yep. Um, and man, I love that thing. Yeah. I think they, they've never been the lightest. They've never been the fastest. Um, but they were tough. Yep. Um, and um, because, you know, originally because they were IBM, they were very well supported. So anytime you had a problem, you went to IBM and they kind of sorted you out, really. So as as they, they uh, Lenovo's done a kind of fun thing, really. As, as it's the 25th anniversary, they've kind of redesigned one of their existing machines as a 25th anniversary uh, ThinkPad um, with the same keyboard style, including the, the blue enter button and uh, the kind of red highlights all over the screen, and also a, a seven-row uh, seven keyboard, which is, is not something you often see nowadays. No. Uh, so I um, think that might actually be popular. I think that that's something that, especially if you weren't around back then and really didn't know this, you might look at this and go, wow, that's, that's different. I kind of like that. Yeah, it's it's hella expensive. <laughs> yeah, well. it's really really expensive, um, seventeen hundred dollars something like that. So you've really got to be kind of a a big ThinkPad fan. Um, but yeah, it's a very it's a modern machine. Um, sorry, eighteen ninety nine. I'm mm. seeing here. Yeah, so it's uh, it's two grand. Yeah, but you know what? Um, yeah, it's it's pretty sweet looking. It does kind of look very much like the original. It even has the the uh, red, red, green, and blue highlights on it on the ThinkPad logo, which used to be part of the IBM logo. Right. Um, so yeah, if you want something that um, kind of looks retro, I mean, nostalgia is the big thing nowadays. I guess this uh, there might be a market for this. Oh, I think there is. I mean, it's it's twenty five years ago. That puts a square in the nineteen nineties. And the thing is, it, yeah, it also has that unique thing that the ThinkPads led with, which is the track point, the little kind of. Little nub uh, in in the middle of the keyboard that you yep. can use as kind of a mini joystick, and it's one of those things that some people like, some people hate. But if you like it and you get really good at it, it's much much superior to a trackpad. It but is. you kind of had to grok it, you know. You have to, um, your brain has to be wired for it to be right. I never really got the best out of it. I was, uh, I've got to be honest. Like even even with my Mac today, I prefer to plug a, a mouse in. Yep, <laughs> than, I do too. Uh, than use a trackpad, so. Yep, I'm Sam with you. I'll, I'm just as proficient with a trackpad. I just I like the mouse. It's yeah. It's the it's how I grew up with them. But like I said, this is from the '90s, and right now all the nostalgia really is hitting those the the '90 kids, the the ones that were yeah. teenagers and grew into adulthood in the '90s. Um, you know, it was the '80s was the big nostalgia thing for a long time, but now we're getting into that group where. They grew up. They came of age in the '90s, and they're starting to get that nostalgia. They never had nostalgia for the '80s stuff. They have it for the '90s. So yeah. you're going to see a lot of '90s nostalgia things coming up. A lot of, and this is already happening. Rebooted TV series like Full House, and you know, it, it's going to be <laughs> that group. The, cla- the classics. <laughs> the classics. We laugh at that, but you know, there's a lot of people listening to this show right now that that is the classics for them: Friends and Seinfeld, and you know, I you know I was watching um, I was watching uh, the new TV show from Seth MacFarlane, The Orville. You know, the kind of the Star Trek. You know, I, I, it, it is Star. I don't care what they say. That it's yeah, the yeah. next generation with but, Snark. Um, yeah, they had the the episode I watched last night. They had a great. Um, kind of friends nostalgia reference that most people would have missed, but it was I was killing myself for last month. Alexander's looking at me like, "What are you laughing at?" You know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what? I just a dive diverge for a minute. 
when it first came on because it was it was promoted as a comedy show and, and Seth MacFarlane you know is a comedy guy we kind of thought it was going to be a comedy show it isn't it plays it very straight yep. but it kind of plays it straight with a well what what would what would it be like if these people were ordinary people rather than kind of the superhero perfect people you get regularly getting these shows you know Captain Picard was you know he always did the right thing he always knew what to do and even when he didn't know what to do, he always figured out what to do because he was such a great guy. And every single person on the bridge of the, of uh, right. certainly the next generation, kind of had, if they had flaws, they were always resolved by the end of the episode. And uh, you know, the, the the great thing I like about, it, and it's really grown on with the Orville, is that it kind of takes that whole um, genre and that whole that whole setting, but it says, well, what would happen if people really were having marital problems and the you know the aliens on the bridge really didn't understand culture and so did completely inappropriate things you know and there's there's a there's a couple of guys there who really are only there for the money and the job and don't care about anything else what do we be like what would it be like if those people actually talked to each other really and interacted like that and i think that's what's clever about it is that it takes that setting but then it kind of twists it in a way that i i'm finding really works for me we're really enjoying it so this is what i posted on facebook on the 5th of october i wrote we now have two star trek shows the first to launch was or orville not an actual star trek show but basically next generation was snark started yeah. off not so good but has only gotten better the second of course is a streaming discovery an actual star trek show it hit the ground running setting up the entire series and three episodes in, it is just fantastic. But therein lies the rub. Orville f actually feels more like Star Trek, while the short show carrying the actual Star Trek label does not feel like a Star Trek show, but more like Babylon 5 or Battlestar Galactica. Which do I like more? Well, I think Discovery is a better show, while Orville feels more like been there, done that. Still in all, I really like both, and, and think hopefully can watch and enjoy both of them. Um, yeah. That's kind of that's how I feel about them. I, it, it's two yeah. different Star Trek shows, two totally different shows, and I like them both. Uh, I like them, but I like them both. But let me tell you, if I sit down and this actually happened to us yesterday, I sat down with Alexander yesterday, uh, and we were caught up. So we'd seen the the, the two part intro to Discovery. Yep. Uh, so we had the first episode of the, of the like regular season. Of course, you know he's a kid. He spent the whole two part not no spoilers here but um he, he spent the whole two parts with discovery you're going well where's the discovery mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah so um yeah we we had that to watch and we also had uh, two more episodes of the of the orville to watch and hands down we were looking forward to watching the orville first we enjoyed them all but we enjoyed the we wanted to see the orville first it's much more approachable than you know discovery the it's great as it is it's very kind of heavy going <laughs> you know it's all it's that typical star trek thing it's all dark and no it's not star trek isn't dark are you kidding me star trek is the orville what the or what what discovery is is babylon 5 or battlestar galactica yeah, well, that's, that's, that's what, it what feels i'm like. saying now i'm talking about if you're watching discovery it's you know you kind of have to get have your brain in gear for it it's not light by yep. any stretch of the imagination uh, whereas the Orville is light and it's very enjoyable for, for that yep. I mean, it, it kind of revels in what it is it is very much a mirror of those types of shows and let's face it they don't make stuff like The Next Generation anymore yeah, they, you know, do. It's they don't Orville. make self-contained you know 45-50 minute episodes where things are resolved at the end and which are as entertaining as, as I find the Orville is anyway yep. so this is the other new show that I'm uh commented on on facebook uh 12 hours ago as i type this as we record this in humans watching the third episode now the first was a complete mess and the creators did nothing to make me want to want to see one side win so there's a king and the special people who develop powers get to do something the one who don't work in the mines okay so why would i like the king black bolt uh, I am trying to keep an open mind and forget what I know from the comics, but in many ways, I think Maximus, he's the bad guy, would be just as good as King as Black Bolt. Black Bolt is a dick. <laughs> Medusa is a whiny, whining, yet arrogant diva. Crystal is a spoiled brat. Gorgon is a lackey, and Karnak is a rude and arrogant dick. So help me out here. Who am I supposed to like or give a crap about? The plot is so far terrible, and the acting just slightly better than that. 
I, I've heard. I've not. I've not had the chance to watch it yet. But I've heard that the only character to root for is the dog. That's right, Lockjaw. <laughs> yep. It, it's. I'm still giving it a chance. I want to see if they go anywhere with this. But I'm thinking, as far as seasons, this is going to be a one and done. They yeah. complete. Look. The, okay, so they live on the moon. They got this hidden base on the moon, and when teenagers come of age, they're exposed to the Terrigen mists. And it unlocks your human inhuman ability, but it doesn't work on everybody. So if it doesn't work on you, you work in the mines well, and it mind. doesn't, it doesn't, I don't know who cares. <laughs> uh, and it, but it doesn't say what happens to the inhumans. I guess the ones that develop powers, they get to do stuff. I guess that they don't really make it clear. Some of them are like part of the Royal guard or something. I don't know. Uh, but the, but the Royal family lives in this, castle part thing that's on the moon and you know it it's they're they're rich and famous right but the only other thing they show is the people that kind of work in the mines and they have a miserable life and i'm like so okay this quote-unquote bad guy comes in overthrows them sends them to earth and his whole thing is well i want to make everyone free and we're supposed we I want to I want to get rid of the caste system so people don't have to work in the mine, and we're supposed to go oh he's evil um excuse me I he kind of like agree a cool with, guy. yeah I mean he manipulates it so this happens and he kills a couple people but at the end of the day I still kind of decided with this guy not these other people that were making oh you're not special so you got to work in the mines I don't uh, how could you miss the mark so badly. So badly, especially in this political climate, you're not special. You get you, even the dog, the royal dog is treated better than the people that work in the mines. I don't, I actually, I, I cannot understand why this show exists and how this was greenlit. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Look, I mean, Marvel TV, Marvel TV adaptations have a checkered history and sometimes. They start badly and then rise above themselves. I mean, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was not great to begin with. Um, no, and it got now, better, and then it went bad again. It, yeah, and it's been up and down. You, you know what? I still enjoy it. And, well, and Marvel wanted to cancel it, and, and Disney wanted to cancel it, and ABC's like, no, we're not canceling it. We want to keep yeah, it. Yeah, and the other thing is, is, I mean, for instance, Marvel's The Defenders, which got a terrible rap. Mm -hmm. And you know what? I really enjoyed that. I did, too. I, re I really dug it. I thought it was great. Um you know, yes, I can see the flaws, and and I still think that the way they write Iron Fist is is very uh, up and down, yeah. And, and that's a real problem. Well, Iron Fist in the Defenders was much better than Iron Fist the whole series. That he was, yeah. But even so, I mean, he does some stupid things, and and he, the problem is, is they haven't they haven't given the character a real purpose, um, and that's kind of part of his shtick. But it's getting a bit old now, yeah. Um, and he is. The I, I, he I, he reminds me of of Rick Deckard in the original Blade Runner in that he's meant to be a complete badass and yet he's completely useless half the time. Yeah, you know he's got the glowing fist thing and he hardly ever uses it. Yeah, where he gets captured <laughs> and they got to go rescue him. Yeah, exactly. I, I here's you know, here's he, my he, problem with the Netflix, the whole Marvel series. Yep. Why are the hand so boring? Yeah, well, yeah. they're so I mean, boring. I, Who cares I, about the hand? The I hand know, was cool in the comics for a long time, but yeah. then it, they got boring there too. I, uh, I, I really hope that after the end of the Defenders, they move on from the hand to something else now. Oh my God, I'm so tired of the hand. Now that being said, I don't like the fact that Marvel and Netflix just canceled a screening of the first episode of Punisher, and they're pushing the series back because of what happened in Vegas. That is such political b well our character shoots a bunch of people and we just had a mass shooting we have a mass shooting in the united states every day and a mass shooting is anything that involves four or more people we literally and i'm not exaggerating david we literally have a mass shooting every single day in the yeah. united states granted most of them are in chicago anything, but anything more than local news yeah four people yeah. were shot today no biggie oh 50 something so, people now it's a biggie yeah. It, it it's complete it's complete horseshit uh, you know what i i saw an article on the onion today uh and it's funny because every time there's been a mass shooting they've basically run the same piece yeah only changed the things and it basically says 
mass shooting, you know, uh, Americans go, well, there's literally nothing we can do. No, nothing. We can't do anything <laughs> yeah. about it. Yeah, and they talk about it like it's a natural disaster. You yep. know, well, you know, the, these things are going to happen, and I really don't know what we could possibly do about them. So we just have to accept in society that, that this is something we have to live with. Yes. It's like, it just perfectly encapsulates the mindset of um, people. I don't care who you are, and I don't care how big of a Second Amendment um, supporter you are. You... I, you are fooling yourself if you look at these things that happen and you kind of go, well, there's nothing we can do. There absolutely there are things you can do. And don't tell me it's black and white. Don't tell me that it's either the situation you have now, which is, is very lightly regulated and these things happen. And the only alternative is no guns at all. Yeah. Because obviously there's a middle ground. Yeah. I don't want to take, I don't support taking people's rights away from them. I understand uh, intellectually why the second amendment was put there. And I understand why it's an emotive issue but there is a difference between having the right to bear arms yeah and having the right to walk around a city with 47 assault rifles effectively and then shoot up a load of people and you know I, what I, this is if something had, they gave up on a long time ago the gun David. smoke setting right. off the fire alarm in that hotel room that guy would have been there for hours yep. and it wouldn't have been 58 people dead and 600 injured it would have been a lot worse than that yep. because yeah, as, basically as soon as the as soon as the concert goes are gone he would have started picking off the cops yep i and i gave did. up on this a long time ago david i realized that america's never and i mean never going to do anything real about this it's never ever going to happen you know when i came to that conclusion when someone walked into elementary school and killed a bunch of kindergartner and first graders when when that happens and nothing changes it's over. Yeah, it's over. We had we had a very similar incident here in the UK, in 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 uh, Scotland. Yeah, and after that um, incident, we basically banned pretty much every gun. Yeah, the only gun you can get now is a shot. Farmers have a, um, a can get a licensed shotgun, and that's because it's recognised that people on a farm sometimes need to shoot animals, shoot vermin, that sort of thing. Even then, the restrictions are so tight. Yeah, you have to have. The police come and inspect your gun locker every six months. Yeah, they have you have to fill out a permit. You have to justify what what you do. You have to go on a training course. There's all sorts of things you have to do. And even then, you know, don't get me wrong. We we do occasionally get shotguns used in crime. We recognise that. But what we don't have is this situation where was it? This was it. Fifty, sixty thousand people a year are dying in gun deaths. Yep. You know. I, and and everyone kind of shrugs and goes, and this you're right, absolutely right. The problem is it's become so normalised. Yep. So normalised um, that um, yeah, nobody wants, nobody is prepared to do anything, anything about it. You know, and it's 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 well, from from my perspective, it's sad. Um, oh, I agree, it, but and nothing is going to change. Sorry for the people who are um, injured and killed in any in any society in yep. any respect, but the fact that. A lethal weapon like this is is just so because it the the issue seems to be so politically toxic that nobody can do anything about it is I I find hard to believe but I guess you know we live in this polarized society now. So let's let's talk about our wiki trolling. We uh, yep. we talked about IBM and the ThinkPad, and anybody who follows either at my Mac or at TechFan Podcast on Twitter. Uh, including Owen, by the way, who's probably going to be here next week with us, David, uh, will know is I got a computer in for review. It's an okay. Acer. It's an Acer desktop i5. Uh, let me see if I can pull the exact specs from this because, honestly, I don't remember what they were off the top of my head. I remember it was an i5. Okay, so this is a... Acer Aspire desktop, 7th generation Core i5-7400, 12 gigabytes DDR4 memory, 2 terabyte hard drive, Windows 10. It's a TC780 ACKI15. Um, the, the biggest drawback of it so far is it's got the Intel HD graphics, which kind of sucks. Um, but beyond, and it's got a two terabyte hard drive, which isn't terribly bad, but at this point it's like really no SSD. Uh, but here's a good part. Oh, and it doesn't have a uh, display port. It's, it's HDMI and VGA only, which is like, uh -huh. what? 
Yeah. Um, it's fast. I could say that so far, but I haven't really done anything with it. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but I'm going to do a, a more thorough review after playing with it this next week. And Owen wants to come on and talk about it too. He got excited. So I said, yeah, mm-hmm. you can come on. So I do have that. And since I got that, I thought since David and I actually, neither one of us picked a, a random Wikipedia thing, I typed in Acer. So Acer is our wiki trolling. So Acer Incorporated is a Taiwanese multinational hardware and electronics corporation specializing in advanced electronics technology and its headquarters in Xinhai, New Pai, or New Taipei. I can't say it now. Taipei. Taipei. I had to look away from it. If I just look at it, I can't yeah. say it. Uh, New Taipei, Taiwan. Acer's products include desktop PCs, laptop PCs, uh, tablets, servers, storage devices, virtual reality devices, displays, smartphones, and peripherals. Acer also sells gaming PCs and accessories and accessories under its Predator sub-brand. In the early 2000s, Acer implemented a new business model, shifting from a manufacturer to a designer, a marketer, and distributor of products while performing uh, production processes via contract manufacturers. So that's basically the same as Apple. Yep. In 2005, Acer was the sixth largest computer vendor in the world. Currently, in addition to its core IT products and businesses, Acer also has new business entities that focus on the integration of cloud services and platforms. Everybody does that. And the development of smartphones and wearable devices with value-added lot applications. Always on. Um, It was founded in uh, um, 1976. It began with 11 employees and $25,000 in capital. That is, uh, that's pretty good. It produced a microprofessor MPFI training kit, and then two Apple II clones. How about that? I didn't know that. Yep. Uh, the microprofessor two and three before joining the emerging IBM PC compatible market and became a significant PC manufacturer. The company was renamed Acer in 1997. So they've been around a long time. Uh, did yeah, you know in 2007 they bought Gateway? Yeah, and Packard Bell in Europe. They they're kind of the you know the go to people. If you want, if you start looking at something that's well priced, the Ace is a good starting point. I've had a few tablets of theirs and um, a couple of piece, couple of laptops as well. We used to, we had a work one um, when I was working for a small company. Um, I'm trying to remember what it's called, Acer Travel Mate, I think it was, and it was kind of a little. 10-inch convertible Windows tablet. You could actually twist the screen around and turn it into a tablet, which this was 2003, 2004, so it was quite innovative back then. And man, people loved that thing. Um, well, I remember everyone's amazed about how small and light it was. I'm looking at yeah. their acquisitions and joint ventures. In uh, 88, they acqu- acquired CounterPoint Computers. 1990, they acquired Altos Computer Corporation. 97, they acquired Texas Instruments Notebook Computer Business. In 07, uh, they acquired U.S.-based rival Gateway for $710 million. Wow, that's a lot. Uh, that acquisition, by the way, also included e-machines because Gateway previously had purchased e-machines. And e-machines, for those who don't remember, made uh, an, I- or an iMac PC clone. It looked so much like an iMac of the day. Yeah. 2007, or 2008, Acer announced that it had acquired a controlling interest 75% of Packard Bell, which basically means they own it. In 08, they acquired E10 and Oli Data. 2010, Acer and Founder Technologies signed a memorandum of mutual understanding to strengthen their long-term P- PC business corporation. I don't know what that means. Um. Yeah, they've they've been buying a lot of stuff. I mean, sixteen they bought the Star VR virtual reality headset mounted displays. Last year they bought Wi-Fi pet camera Pabu. <laughs> They're pretty diversified. They've um, got seven thousand plus employees worldwide, operating yeah. in seventy countries. Oh, yeah, and approximately you know, ninety five thousand retail locations spread throughout one hundred and sixty 
They got retail locations? Well, I, well I guess that means they, they sell they, them. And, yeah. yeah. That means people sell them. And I, that's one of the things I was going to say is what Acer, I think, Acer and Asus, and it's very easy to get the two confused. One of the things both of those brands have managed to do is they managed to get their computers sold everywhere. Yeah. So um, they've, they're very much well known in that, you, you know, wherever you go to buy a computer, you'll often see their machines. And I guess that's to have that kind of resale reach is, is pretty cool um, and probably helps bolster their sales. It's interesting because, you know, so many podcasters out there and websites focus on Apple kind of exclusively. And you forget, I think a lot of people like that, that there are companies like Acer that's not even on your radar because you're a Mac guy. But, man, they've been doing this for a long time, and they kind of got their star cloning what Apple was doing way, way back in the 80s. So I, I find it interesting. Yeah. Well, the other thing that's interesting is a lot of the older brands, I noticed in the Windows market, a lot of the older brands like HP, um, Sony have left the market now, yeah. um, but Dell and everything, they, they've started to target the middle ground and higher. Yep. Um, they do have entry-level offerings, but I think they pretty much leave the entry-level stuff to mainly to a, to a fight between uh, Asus and Acer. I yep. mean, Dell, Dell does a little bit, but Dell's a bit different because Dell sells direct. Right. So you, you don't, you know, if you if you walk into a store, a computer store, yeah, you might see one or two Dell machines, but you'll see a lot of different types of Aces and uh, and Asus machines, and then then a few HPs and that sort of thing as well. But but definitely they they dominate. I mean, and and particularly the cheaper. And you look at Chromebooks, for instance. Uh, Acer Chromebooks are huge. Yes. They're a really big part of the Chromebook market, which means they're a big education seller and. You know, all of that stuff sells them in good, sets them in good stead. If you look at my desktop right now, and right in front of me is an Asus 27-inch monitor. Behind it, but to the left, is that Acer desktop. And to the right of it, at an angle, is my iMac. And I use an HDMI switcher to give control of the 27-inch Asus monitor over to the Acer. Mm-hmm. And monitor and keyboard. And then I have to switch uh, from DisplayPort to HDMI. Uh, but still, I mean, I've got kind of a, a mixed computing environment right here. Yeah, a lot, not, a lot of people have one brand, for, particularly for accessories like monitors and everything. Um, well, let's face it, Apple doesn't sell those anymore. So, no. Well, this Asus uh, monitor is a nice monitor. I like it a lot. But you can pick up monitors fairly cheaply now. Still there? Nope. We lost David. But that's a good thing because we're going to wrap up this episode of Tech Fan. Of course, we do want to thank our sponsor, MacSales.com. We look forward to uh, getting some feedback from you guys. Simply go to TechFanPodcast.com and leave a comment in the show notes or send us an email, which is the show at TechFanPodcast.com. Uh, of course, you could hit us up at, at my Mac as well because I, uh, I post and check that one regularly on Twitter and find us on Facebook. If you like this show, hey, let someone else know about it. Post post it on your Twitter account. Say, hey, listen to TechFan. We'd appreciate that. So with that, we'll see you guys next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>